All right, it is Monday, March 30th, and we are moving through 2nd Peter. I've got my junior high winter retreat revival sweatshirt on. Logos goggles, and we are ready to dive back into the Word. 2 Peter chapter 1, we have reached verse 5. We're in the middle of verse 5. Let me read a little bit of the context just to remind you where we're at, that we become um, the recipients of God's great and precious promises. That's verse 4. So that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. Tried to work through that phrase. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Dealt with that. Now verse 5. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And the first thing on the list is virtue. And we talked about the effort part, but I want to take a minute to talk about the faith part. Before we start to build on our faith, supplementing our faith, uh, I want to make sure that we uh, have real biblical faith. We understand faith. So let me take a minute here out of our study to talk about what faith is and what it isn't. Biblical faith. This word pistuo, the verb in uh, the New Testament, is not a word that's just dealing with our thoughts. Uh, Matter of fact, James talks about the fact that there are people that think they have faith simply because they believe the facts. He talks about demons believing that God is one. He used that very specifically because that was the kind of the doctrinal statement of the Old Testament. The Hebrew Shema in uh, Deuteronomy 6, they would recite this as their central document, do- doctrinal statement. The Lord our God is one. Uh, and, and they, James says, listen, demons believe that. Um, this is not about mental assent. Biblical faith, this word pastuo, could be translated uh, trust. Saving faith is a trust, a transfer of our trust. Now, you got to get a little bit of the context here. So I just say this uh, just for the sake of those who might be listening to this podcast or watching this video, and maybe you've been in church, you've heard a lot about Jesus, you've, you know, even think that maybe you are a Christian because you believe the right things. You're going to get to the end of your life. You're not going to be handed a test, a true or false test to ask you questions like, is there a God? Uh, Is Jesus the Son of God? Uh, You know, that's not what this is about. The transfer of our trust means that we see ourselves in light of God. Let's just get that big picture for a second. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator. He is in charge. He is the authority. My life in light of that truth, the very first verse of the Bible, reminds me that he gets to make the rules. He is the standard of all things. He is the one that I have to answer to one day. It's appointed unto man once to die. Everyone's going to die. And then we face the judgment. We face the God who made us. We're going to meet our maker. And, and then the question is going to be, am I acceptable before that maker? Is God going to accept me or am I going to be rejected? And God, because he's the giver of all good things, you either have the option of being ushered into a place where God is going to give us all the great things that he wants to give his creation in a perfect setting without reference to sin, or he's going to exclude us, cast us out into outer darkness, the Bible says, where it's nothing but weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because all the good gifts come from him. And those who reject him are going to be rejected, and they are going to have none of the blessings or the gifts from God. So this is heaven or hell. This is a big deal. And it all starts with us understanding ourselves in light of God. God is the creator. He is in charge. His standard, which is holiness, perfection, is the standard that we all must be very honest about recognizing that we fall short of. And because of that, falling short of the standard of God, which is really maybe better encapsulated with the word rebellion, our sin is a rebellion against God's standard, uh, that we deserve judgment. 
He's a just God, and he must judge those that are not righteous. But because of his great love for us, he sent his son to solve the problem. And this is all leading up to where our faith goes. The solving of the problem is Christ living in our place. God takes on human form, lives and fulfills all human righteousness. Everything the way human beings were supposed to live, he lived it as a, as a repository. He himself is the righteousness in human form that we needed before a holy God. He lived that all out, fulfilled all righteousness, and then he died a terrible, horrific death wherein he wasn't just being killed by the, the leaders of Israel or by the Roman authorities. He was actually being crushed, it says in Isaiah 53. This was the whole plan of God, crushed by his Father, by God the Father, who makes Christ suffer so that all of the punishment that I deserve has now been spent on him. So his righteous life exchanging for my sinful life and my sin placed on his cross, that's the transaction that solves the problem. And then the Bible says that is a, affected in your life. It's appropriated in your life as we experience this gift of God, this obtaining of this faith that we've talked about already in Second Peter, that God graciously grants. It's our experience, though, to now transfer our trust as a penitent person. That's a big word, penitence, uh, the word repentance. In the Bible, these two things always go together, repentance and faith. They're two sides of one coin. And the kind of faith we have in Christ solving our problem for us is a penitent faith. We're turning from the sense of being acceptable on our own or rebelling against God. We repent of our sins and we turn to God, trusting in Jesus Christ. And we see those words all over the Bible. I think of Acts chapter 20, verse 21, as Paul summarized his ministry of saying that I preached repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Or as he talked before King Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 20, he said, I declared to those in Jerusalem and all throughout Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing now deeds in keeping with their repentance. It's a turning to God with a faith, a penitent faith that says, I trust God to solve the problem in Christ for me. Now you have that faith, then that settles it immediately for us. We are acceptable now before God. Now in the Christian life, between now and the time that I get to be in his presence, now it is a process of adding to my faith. What does that mean? Things that make me qualified before God? No, it's a sanctification. I'm growing in my faith. I'm becoming more godly. And now there are eight things here that are described for us in this passage that we should be working, making every effort to add to our faith. And as I said last time, work is work. It's going to be effort. It's going to be an expending of effort. God, of course, has to empower that. God has to give us strength to do that, which, of course, we can't do anything without his strength. But we know what the goals are, and here they are. And let's talk about this first one. Interesting word. The only time it's translated this way is right here in this verse. Uh, it's only used five times in the New Testament, two times in this verse, three times elsewhere, and it's translated here with the word virtue. Take a look at the verse again. For this very reason, it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, make every effort to supplement, to nourish, to add to your faith. Uh, and the first thing we add is virtue. Supplementing your faith with virtue. Now, if you look at the ESV, if you have an ESV on your phone or your tablet or whatever you're looking at or your Bible, look in the margin there. That little footnote is going to say, it's going to say, or excellence. And, and if you look up, matter of fact, the other reference to this right here in this very passage, we just saw in the context in verse number three, his divine power, look up at verse three, his divine power has granted us granted uh, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his who called us to, or by, we said, by his own glory and excellence. 
Now that verse right there has as the last word in that sentence, the word excellence. Now look at the footnote on that one. You can see there it says, or virtue. So we're talking about in our English translations, this idea of something that is characteristic of God, something that is explaining and describing the moral perfection of God, the excellencies of God, the virtue of God, the goodness of God. As a matter of fact, here's another passage that uh, Peter, as he's used to pen uh, God's word here in the first epistle, first Peter, he uses that same word in chapter two, verse nine. You might remember this passage where we are called a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And it says all of that, at least the purpose clause in this verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, is that we are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're, we're supposed to proclaim the, the excellencies, the greatness, the moral goodness of God. It's the same word. Well, we've just now referenced four of the five uses of this Greek word in the New Testament. And they all are giving us that sense that it's almost a unattainable thing. I mean, right? Because these are the moral perfections of God, the excellencies, the virtues of God. But don't let that discourage you. Because even though we have in the scripture words that describe God and can only describe God, like holiness, right? Or righteousness. We'd say only God is perfectly righteous. Only God is perfectly holy. Even Jesus pointed out, he said to the rich young ruler, only, only God is perfectly good. Right? So we know that's a standard of perfection, but then again, we see people described in the Bible as holy, a holy person, a holy man, a righteous man, a righteous person, or uh, a good person. I mean, these are things that can be describing a person, a human being, in a relative sense, in an imperfect sense, but in a sense in which you compare it to someone else or who you were before, and you can say, well, there's virtue in my life now to a greater degree than there was before. I'm reflecting more of the excellencies of God than I did before. So Peter uses it uh, three times in reference to God, uh, and, and or twice in reference to God, here in verse 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, both in reference to God. And now he says, you need to have more of that in your life. You need to add this to your life. You could translate it virtue, excellencies, the moral goodness of God. You need to have that in your life. Okay, how do we get it? Great, that was a big intro. Jot this one down. This is the other usage in the New Testament, and now it's Paul using it. We've had four references by Peter's pen. Now we have Paul using this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And you might remember this context. It talks about worry and anxiety. We don't want any of that. We want to replace that with prayer and thanksgiving and supplication. And then it talks about the fact that this heart that is guarded by this peace of God is going to set its mind. He or she is going to set his or her mind on a certain set of things. And here's what it's describing. It says whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And it sums all that up with this word. If there is any excellence, there's our same word again. Translated excellence in this passage could be translated virtue, the moral goodness that we see in something that reflects the excellence of God. Well, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay, you want to add to your faith virtue, excellence, this thing that God is telling us to make every effort to see more of in your life. Well, then it starts by what we see in Philippians 4, your mind. Everything starts there. It's about the things that you think. You have a gate that you basically are letting things into your mind. I know we think sometimes we're a victim of our thoughts, but of course, uh, as it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we ought to guard our hearts 
which is really the center of our thinking capacities, right? In a Jewish mindset, our heart is not the center of emotions. It's the center of our thinking, the things we cogitate on, things we meditate on. That ought to be guarded carefully because everything flows from that. And so here's Paul in Philippians 4 saying, you want this moral excellence to start in your brain. You want to start it in your mind and the things you think about. Garbage in, garbage out. You've got to guard and selectively Think about certain things and focus on those things that reflect the goodness of God, the excellence of God, the moral character and, and, and good that God is. So keep your mind set on those things. Again, the whole verse maybe is worth repeating here. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, that's really describing the whole of that list. Well, then think about those things. If it's commendable, think about it. And so we start there. And then from that, Jesus made this very clear in his teaching. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, he talks about a tree bearing good fruit if it's a good tree. And he talks about these people that were criticizing him unjustly. He said, you guys can't say anything good because you're evil in your hearts. And if you're evil in your hearts, you're speaking things that come out of your heart. And so he says, for the abundance, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let's just connect these two things. You want to add to your faith, excellence or moral virtue, well, it needs to start in your thinking, then it needs to be purposefully directed out of your mouth, and then it's going to get to your behavior. You're going to see it in your behavior. I love this passage in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says those that are even in hard situation, maybe with a demanding boss, in that case it was servants and masters, it says you ought to have an excellent kind of speech. You ought to have a good kind of wholesome sincerity coming out of your mouth that is going to drive you to the kinds of behaviors that can, I love this, the way it's put in verse 10, it can adorn the gospel. It can adorn the doctrine or the teaching of, of God, our Savior. The picture is that we are seeing our behavior reflect our words, and our words are reflecting our hearts, and our hearts are getting these things ensconced and, and positioned in them because we're choosing to think about them. That's why this verse over my shoulder is so important. That's why in the midst of this very strange thing that we're in the middle of here, this COVID-19, uh, we want to get back to the Word of God. And a lot of these evening Bible studies, I'm not even talking about our current situation. What I'm talking about is thinking about God's word, having our thoughts uh, uh, transformed, our mind transformed, because we're taking the word of God and implanting it in our thinking. So that's what this is all about. It's about building on our faith, adding to our faith, our saving faith, this moral excellence. It starts with our thinking, it moves to our words, and it should be evident then in our behavior. And maybe someone will say of us something, maybe something less than, but close to what Mark chapter 7, verse 37 said about Christ when they saw him. He says, he's done all things well, right? Of course, he's the perfect standard, but I'd hope that people would look at your life and say, look at the goodness, the virtue in that person. They say virtuous things. They think virtuous thoughts because they purpose to make every effort to add to their faith. Thanks for listening today. We're going to move on to the next item on this list in the very bottom of verse number five. And uh, we thank you for listening. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to keep getting these evening Bible studies. And you can also find this as a podcast, an audio podcast, wherever you get your podcast. So we hope you'll keep listening. We'll be back with you on Tuesday.